Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here. And we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent. And yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am here with my friend and colleague, Sharon Celine. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So as we were talking about prepping for this, I said there's no prepping to do because we're just going to have an organic conversation. And Lord knows we have enough to talk about, right? (laughs) And, you know, here on this podcast, Sharon, we don't do introductions and bios because I find them a little boring. Instead, Mm -hmm. I want to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about the work that you do with families of complex kids and how you came to be doing this work. That's a great question. I have been a family therapist for over 30 years. And in the process of my education, first my master's and then my doctorate, and then actually practicing as a psychologist, I found that I was drawn to kids who had a lot going on. They were very interesting to me. These families felt familiar. And then my nephew was diagnosed with ADHD. And then my brother was diagnosed with ADHD. And I realized that, huh, I grew up in a family with that ADHD and anxiety. I was, I myself lived in a complex family. And over the course of many years, and particularly in the last five years, when the research on postmenopausal women and ADHD has really emerged, guess what? I'm complex myself. Here's a shocker for you. I know, you know, I have a lot of energy. I get a lot done. You know, I don't have a, a learning disability, but what I have is a lot of anxiety. And that is, you know, makes it hard to modulate that because I have now learned particularly, you know, I sort of managed it well enough until I got through menopause. Um, Well, and and, and what I'll I'll offer with that is that part of when we live with complex issues, we learn to accommodate for ourselves. We learn Mm -hmm. to manage ourselves until we hit a wall. And for some kids, that wall may be middle school or high school or college. And for some adults, that wall hits it. 40 or 50 or, you know, at different stages of life. Exactly. So, you know, the work that I do with families is, is, is both a blend of cognitive behavioral work and insight oriented work. You know, I'm trained as a family systems therapist, but I'm also trained in what we call psychodynamic therapy. And I've become quite interested in internal family systems. I did a lot of training and was uh, in psychodrama. So, you know, and I've trained in hypnotherapy. So I bring all of this, including mindfulness, 
to the work that I do. And the reason I do this dance between cognitive behavioral work and insight-oriented work is because I find that cognitive behavioral interventions can only go so far without insight into what um, what is getting in your way, what might be a conversations or narrative that you tell yourself from your past. So I bring in some narrative therapy. What could you, how could you shift your perspective and how do we foster self-acceptance both in ourselves mm-hmm. and in our children? Because I feel like one of the biggest challenges for complex kids and complex families is accepting that yes. they're all right. You yeah. know, that just because they, broken. there's nothing broken. And, yeah. and so it's just different. And I think that that's a challenge, you know, and it's a challenge, you know, for me, I grew up, you know, hearing, you know, particularly when I was in graduate school or whatever, you know, oh, you're too much or, you know, it was very hard for my brother. He was super anxious and struggled with handwriting and, you know, was very um, hyperactive, impulsive. And, you know, we just there were no resources at that time because only, you know, kids who were really in institutions were getting the help or the diagnosis. And so now it's really part of my work to just normalize this and give people resources and tools to get them through. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and so many things I want to, so many things are grabbing me about what you're saying. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of, I don't want to use the word hype, but attention Mm -hmm. on CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy in the realm Mm -hmm. of managing complex families. And, you know, what I notice is it becomes almost a buzzword of like, okay, here's, this is going to fix it. We're going to do CBT. And it's like, and it's one of many tools in the toolbox that can be really helpful in managing these complex issues. But I think, you know, you're a therapist, I'm a coach. I think part of the reason we get along so well is because coaching is insight-based, mm-hmm. right? And it's all mm-hmm. about, you know, doing that, that work of understanding and shifting perspective. And what I'm hearing you saying is that, in the therapeutic realm, there's a cognitive behavioral piece, and then there's an insight piece, and then there's a personal narrative. And so it's, it's all of that that blends together that really helps somebody move forward. That's true. And there's also family systems theory. And, yeah. and I think Talk about family, that a little bit, because I love so, so, so too. family systems theory is that you're, you know, you are part of a unit, like an engine of a car for example. And if, you know, this is really going to be very embarrassing because I'm not going to speak clearly about this, but let's say the starter is not working very well. It's, it's not making its connection on a regular basis. Then the rest of the engine is going to have a hard time, you know, with the pistons doing whatever they need to do, et cetera, et cetera. And well, so you're going to we- step on the gas and the car is not going to move. Is what's going to happen. Exactly. Or the car starter. Okay. <laughs> so I can tell you exactly what happens. Right. So what happens a lot in families with complex kids is that there's one person who is what's called the identified problem Mm. or the identified patient. And that person is usually the reason that the family comes in for therapy because that person is struggling. But what happens in the course of the therapy, and this is the beauty of family systems work, is that you start to unpack how people are actually getting along. What are some of the other challenges? Frequently, um, we'll have kids who families will come in because their kids are getting into a lot of trouble at school. And really, what, what we find the issue is 
maybe they have ADHD, maybe they have a learning disability that hasn't been diagnosed, but also their parents are not getting along and there's a lot of conflict in the marriage. And so really the, is the issue what's happening with the child or is the issue what's happening with the parents or is it both? And the beauty of family therapy is you can do all, you can treat those things at the same time. Here's what's coming up as I'm listening to you. It's like, <laughs> so I live in a complex family of five, now six, right? So everybody right. in my in my family was an identified problem or patient. Right. And as a result, there was no problem or patient. It was just all of us. And, and I remember vividly when one of my kids was diagnosed with dyslexia and it was almost like, oh, thank goodness. Now, she, now she's got something too. <laughs> almost this relief that we were all complex and we, because that's how we learn as a system to support each other as a system, because everybody had something and none of it was broken, if that makes sense. And that's really important because that's another thing. It's like, you know, what are the unspoken rules and roles in a family? And what are the outspoken rules and roles in a family? What is the general dynamic of a family, what is the music, so to speak, of the environment. And so part of uh, being a, a family therapist is working on that. Part of being a family therapist is also being able to acknowledge that some things are not going to change. Sometimes parents don't want to do the work that they need to do personally to serve their child. And that's mm. making, and then there's a choice that has to be made. So speak to that a little bit, because what you just said, but you didn't say was that the work is not just about the child. The work starts sometimes with the parents changing some behaviors themselves. Right. Because kids don't grow up in a Petri dish. They grow up in an environment and in a system. So, you know, what parents are, are doing or not doing is contributing to the dynamic of the family and to what the child is doing, both consciously and unconsciously in their daily lives and what's developing for them in their own sense of self. And so I think, um, you know, I heard a story yesterday from somebody that I um, consult with. And she told me that uh, these are parents of a complex emerging adult, young adult, and they basically terminated his work with her because it wasn't going fast enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it, and it, even, it, you're in this for and, the marathon, folks. <laughs> right. And, and she, you know, we, t- we spent most of her session talking about her, her just her real sadness because she had a connection with this young person and mm-hmm. she enjoyed working with them and they were making some progress, but it's complicated. Things take time. And I think that's hard for a lot of parents. The yeah. other thing that I think is really hard for a lot of parents is blaming themselves too much or not being not accountable too. enough. Right. So there's this role for understanding the role that we as parents play in the dynamic and taking ownership of that without beating ourselves up for it. And that's very hard to do because yeah. in this culture that we live in and in, in many cultures, whatever your child is doing, how your child is performing, the life choices they are making, their mental health struggles or you know, whatever the relationship challenges, somehow there's a link to you, whether yeah. they're 13 or 35, 
It's like, right. what did I do wrong that this is occurring? And I just think that's that way of thinking is super flawed. You know, yeah. you we all do the best we can with the resources we have available to us at any given time. So that means that if you as a parent mess up, you know, you yell at your kid, you accidentally forget to pick them up at soccer and you're a half hour late, like own it, you know, and say a genuine apology because you're so modeling yeah. for them what you want them to be able to do. Well, you know, Maya Angelou said it best, when you know better, you do better. And Mm -hmm. so when you understand what's going on with yourself, with your kids, with the dynamic, then you can begin to change that. But that's really hard to change if you are fighting it, resisting it, pretending it doesn't exist, blaming other people, blaming the, the diagnosis, like all of those things actually interfere with our capacity to be with what's going on so that we can impact it. And I think, Elaine, honestly, that a lot of times what's hard for parents in terms of being with with what's going on, and I, I fully agree with you, is that they have unresolved stuff from their own childhood. or, you know, some part of their life. And they don't, you know, they often don't want their kids to go through what they went through. So they're going to tell them what to do, or they're going to, you know, pretend to protect them. And the thing is, like, life just doesn't work that way. Like, you can guide your children, but it's their life experience that's going to give them the lessons that they hold on to and that they can incorporate into who they are to fully express themselves and live their passion and their potential and their talent. And I Mm -hmm. think that, you know, as parents, you know, we make mistakes because we come from families that probably had their own issues. Nobody's perfect. And so it it is important for us to look at, you know, why is this triggering for me? What is it about this behavior or this situation that just sets me off so much that I can't think clearly or be my best self? Mm-hmm. or my better self even. You know, the question that I was thinking to ask you earlier that I didn't, that's kind of morphing at this moment, right? Mm-hmm. Which is really what I think all of this is about, was what do parents need to understand, right? What do they need to know to better support their complex kids? I think this is a really good question. And to me, it comes down to compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, no child wants to go out in the world and mess up. That's not really their agenda. You know, their agenda is mastery and independence. That is the agenda. I want to grow up and do and learn and be on my own. Be good at something and have some autonomy. And so I think that when we forget that, we start to get into, you know, all kinds of assumptions about why our children are doing things. You know, Ross Green says if kids will do well if they can. They can. Right. And if they're not doing well, it's not because I'm they're they're necessarily choosing that. It's because they don't maybe see other tools in their toolbox. They don't have those tools. They forget to access them. You know, they need more scaffolding or support and patience from adults that's going to take them a little longer to get where they're going. Well, Um, I have the subtext I just throw out real quickly is is compassion for them and that I'm hearing here is is compassion for ourselves. Of course, compassion for ourselves. You know, I have the gift and I'm sure you do too, but you know, I have 
couple people I've worked with in therapy who I saw them when they were in like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, maybe once or twice, a little bit when they were in high school. And now this one, you know, they're like 23 and they come back on their own because they're like, hey, you know what? I want to work on this thing. Yeah. And And yes, yes, parents listening, they do come back in their 20s and go, okay, now I'm ready to deal with this. Yes. Like I'd like to. I sat yesterday with a young man I've known literally he's 23. I've known him for probably 15 or 16 years. Okay. Off and on and um, worked with his family, worked with his sister, you know, all kinds of stuff. And he said, I want, you know, he's making some life decisions, uncertain, et cetera, which is when a lot of young adults will come into therapy or coaching. But he says, you know, I don't say what I'm thinking. Mm, I don't. Great awareness. I don't like conflict. And then I cause conflict. And I'm like, brilliant okay. awareness. I love that. I'm like, great. We are ready to do the work because mm-hmm. it's been amazing to see his brain over the years catch up with his emotional intelligence, yes. you know, so that he's ready to do the work. Yeah. Um, so I've I think one my thing, kids again and again yeah. and again. Yeah. Right. So I think it's important for parents to both be compassionate with ourselves and be compassionate with our kids. You know, I'm constantly amazed at how hard people are on themselves, including Mm -hmm. me. I'm really hard on myself. Yeah. You know, I don't know. You you might be as well, but we, you know, high expectations want to help a lot of people want to do a lot of things. And so we have this as parents, we want our kids to be okay. We want our kids to be okay. But sometimes we get in the way of that. Yeah. You know, I had a a recent example with my youngest kid, who's now 21, who was going through a a health situation Mm -hmm. and he's currently in another city. So, you know, I spent a lot of time on the phone with him on this one day where he was, you know, went from a clinic to a hospital to, you know, like, like was having a really serious, very significant health situation. I couldn't rescue him from it. I couldn't Mm -hmm. fix it. I couldn't like I could resource to some extent and I did, but on some level, what I could do was be with him in his struggle and his figuring out how to be with what he was dealing with. And my capacity to do that was greater for his growth than if I had flown up there and fixed it. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. that's a hard thing to come to terms with. That's a beautiful story because essentially what you're doing is you're showing up for your kids without controlling. Yeah. You're, you're offering support. You're asking them to make, particularly for emerging adults, for them, if, you know, would you like to hear some of my thoughts? Nope, yeah. mom, I don't. Okay. Right. Bye. Good luck. See you. Or yes, I would like to know, you know, and, and so there are tools to invite Of course, a a good conversation that's based on relationship. Right. Of course. Right. You have to have that attachment, that attunement. And then that's particularly and that grows out of the work that you do when your kids are younger. So being present for them, put your phone down, have them put their phone down, like have times where you really connect as a family set up a screen-free half day or day once a week, have dinner where you go around and you ask, you know, how about a happy and a crappy for your day? You know, 
really, we used really, to do highs and lows, but I like happy and crappy. Right. I like highs and lows too. That works for some families, but yep. some families like the other. Like the crappy, um, right? <laughs> they like the crappy part. They like me to be able to say crappy. But, you know, what kids really want from a parent is loving attention. Even yeah. your teenagers, yeah. even your teenagers. Yeah, in some ways, especially your teenagers, but they don't want yes. you to tell them how. They no. want you to invite them to it. Yeah. Let them say, yeah, I'm in. And that's the catch. That's the shift. Right. Right. It's right. And that's the collaborative time. piece. Yes. Because you built, you want to invite them for participation. And that's really the difference between kind of shoulding and coulding. So right. shoulding is really about the speaker. You should mm-hmm. do this. So I'm in a conversation making it about me. Yeah. I'm telling you what you should do. Could yeah. is about the other person. Yeah. You're inviting them, it, you know, say, well, you could do this. You're inviting them to consider something. Yeah. Love it. All right. I told you this was going to go fast and it did. So um, we're going to pause for a second. Tell people how they can find out more about you. On my website, drsharonceline.com, and on social media, which is at Dr. Sharon Celine. So Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn yeah. and all those well, good things. And we'll have all of that in the show notes. And let me see what else. I think that's, that's let's come back to what have we not shared, Sharon, that you want to make sure people get from today? Or what do you want to go back and highlight? What's the message you want people to leave with? I think I would like to leave a message about forgiveness Mm. of self and other. You know, I think that when we uh, hold on to our anger towards our kids, when we hold on to our anger towards ourselves, we shut down the possibility of connection. When When people are angry or raging or have lost their temper at their kid, they cut off an aspect of connection that the kids really feel. Um, And it's not something that, you know, we feel proud of. And obviously we all have moments where we lose it. I mean, let me raise my hand right here, you know, Mm -hmm. several that I could tell you that would extend our time, but I won't. And I'm sure that our listeners have that too. And so what we want to do is to be able to forgive ourselves for the times when we've stumbled, for the times when our kids have stumbled and use these as growth experiences. Yeah, I love that. In the world of coaching, we often talk about failing forward, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. what worked, what didn't work, what do we want to do differently? And you can't do that if you're holding on to resentment or fear or, you know, blame or any of that stuff. It it requires an allowing, a forgiving of self and other to be able to learn from it. Exactly, which is why compassion is so important, self and other. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Last question. You got a favorite quote or motto you want to share? I do. And it's on the topic. And of course, course. it's by someone you've already mentioned, Maya Angelou. And she says, forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know before you learned it. Right. Which is probably in the same same, um, speech, (laughs) which says, when you know better, you do better. So say it again. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself for for not knowing what you didn't know before you learned it. Yeah, I love that so much. My husband often says, holding yourself accountable now for for then, for information you know now is tantamount to self-abuse. 
That is fabulous. And I couldn't yeah. agree more. And I think we all do that, actually. Gosh, I wish I had known that this 10 yeah, years ago. I would have, should have. Like, here's where you are. Right. So let's make the changes now. Yeah. Act differently now based on what you have learned. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for that. So thank you, as always, for a thoughtful, insightful, caring conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Elaine. It is always a pleasure to talk with you. You're so thoughtful and and inquisitive and curious in, in in the most wonderful ways. Thank you. I appreciate that. So my guest has been Dr. Sharon Celine, who is a family systems therapist and does a lot of work with kids, young adults, families of complex families. Uh, and you can find her at drsharonceline.com and it's in the show notes. And to those of you tuning in and listening, I just want to acknowledge and thank you for what you're doing for yourself and for your kids. You're just being here and listening makes a difference. One step at a time, y'all. Take care. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.